Chapter Twenty Eight of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty Eight, The Threshold of Fate. The dinner at Parium Place was a very quiet business. Mister Carew and his daughter found the drawing room empty of human life when they entered it a few moments before seven. That vast apartment, with its massive but somewhat scanty furniture, had a melancholy look in the evening light the size and grandeur of the room seemed to cry aloud for people to inhabit it mr carew who like all self-indulgent people was easily affected by external influences gave a faint shudder as his gaze wandered round the spacious lofty saloon a fine room he said but rather dismal sylvia looked about her curiously she was glad of the opportunity to examine these splendours on her previous visit the room had been at first half in shadow and then but dimly lighted by solitary lamps and candles and the master of the house had been present any inspection of the apartment had been therefore impossible to-day she was able to take a deliberate survey and to-day she contemplated the room with a new feeling a month hence it would be her very own she walked slowly up and down looking at the tall china jars the wire-guarded bookcases the massive sofas the bare tables what curious foreign-looking curtains she exclaimed examining the oriental embroidery but they are a good deal faded i think i shall persuade sir aubrey to have new ones amber satin would be the thing for this room i hope you will find sir aubrey compliant enough to oblige you answered her father remembering that interview of last night in which the baronet had appeared to him by no means pliant oh i am not afraid of that returned sylvia smiling at her own image in the tall narrow glass between the windows and when i am lady parium she never said when i am married but always when i am lady parium i shall give large parties and this room will look as it ought to look it's a superb room for parties isn't it papa no doubt but i don't fancy sir aubrey is a party-giving man people have talked a good deal about his keeping himself shut up here and hardly seeing anybody how can you be so stupid papa of course as a bachelor sir aubrey would care very little for company but it will be different when he is married do you suppose i mean to be buried alive when i am lady parium it would be much better for me to marry edmund if there were any chance of that of course not my love replied her father hastily pray don't talk of young standon it is treason against sir aubrey to remember his insignificant existence sylvia sighed the mere mention of her first lover's name brought a flood of sad memories memories that were sweet as well as sad she thought of the summer evenings they had spent together a little while ago a little while it seemed now as if she were divided from that too recent past by the space of half a lifetime i feel ten years older since i accepted sir aubrey she thought with another sigh the inspection of the saloon had no further charm for her she flung herself into a chair by an open window and sat there silent dejected her father looked at her with some concern not for his daughter's feelings but for his own chances of that promised hundred per annum if you are going to give yourself sentimental airs about edmund standon the sooner you tell sir aubrey the state of the case and give up the notion of being lady parium the better said the schoolmaster sternly he felt that it was no time for soft pleading before sylvia could answer him the door opened and sir aubrey came in followed by his land-steward the baronet crossed the room to greet his betrothed 
mr bain walked towards the empty fireplace at which mr carew had taken his stand my dear sylvia i owe you a hundred apologies said the baronet after pressing the hand which was somewhat coldly offered to him i have been detained talking to bain my lawyer and agent but as our conversation concerned your future interests i hope you will forgive me there is nothing to forgive sir aubrey answered sylvia and then in a lower voice she added i have to thank you for your kindness in giving papa the money for my trousseau i know it is not customary but we are such paupers and i cannot refuse your gift tears the tears of wounded pride were in her eyes as she spoke she had heard so much about trousseaus from mary peter and she knew that it was always the bride's father who provided his daughter's outfit hers seemed almost the gift of charity my dearest pray do not mention such a trifle i hope you had a pleasant drive here very pleasant how thoughtful it was of you to send the carriage it will be your own carriage very soon to order wherever you like that was a consoling thought those proud tears were quickly dried it would be very nice to spend sir aubrey's hundred pounds too although it had been a somewhat humiliating business to accept it sylvia meant to devote the next day to shopping what delight to walk into gans lines and feel that she could buy whatever she pleased she could not imagine her fancies soaring beyond the limit of a hundred pounds by the by said sir aubrey when they had talked a little about the weather and about parium which the baronet liked to hear praised i must introduce my agent mr bain a very useful and estimable person he takes the entire management of my estate takes all trouble off my hands so that i have nothing to do except receive my rents come here bain i want to present you to miss carew mr bain obeyed the summons he had seen the slim white-robed figure from a distance and his keen eye had taken in every detail of that graceful form but sylvia's face had been turned away from him and he saw it now for the first time in the clear soft light of the summer evening he bowed murmured something indistinct about the honour he derived from the introduction and then stood silently awaiting his patron's next address he looked at sylvia but that steadfast straightforward look of his told nothing of the man's thoughts he was thinking that this girl was lovely enough to bewitch a wiser man than sir aubrey perriam thinking that even he shadrach bane had never seen real beauty until to-night that all the pretty young women it had been his advantage to behold at diverse periods of his existence had been but as images of clay compared to this perfect and delicate porcelain this pale blossom-like loveliness was a style of beauty he had never met with those deeply lustrous hazel eyes were as strange to him as the flora in some newly discovered island of the pacific is strange to the botanist but shadrach bain was not a man to be deeply moved by beauty however unfamiliar he wondered and he admired but no flutter of his strong heart paid tribute to sylvia's power to charm had she been his own daughter he could have hardly contemplated her with a more calmly critical eye he was however essentially a practical man a man who looked at everybody from one point of view and measured everything by one standard that standard was self-interest in his prolonged meditations he had made up his mind that sylvia must come into the scheme of his life she might be fit or unfit to fill that square in the geometrical plan of his destiny which he intended her to fill but if unfit she must be made fit upon that point mr bain had no doubt 
mr perriam shuffled into the room presently in his old-fashioned dress-coat and short black trousers of antique cut and white stockings and ancient shoes with loosely tied ribbons looking like an elderly copy of his brother indifferently executed it was a singular evidence of the unwholesomeness of a sedentary and secluded life that mordred perriam looked ten years older than his elder and more active brother the butler announced dinner and they went to the dining-room sylvia on sir aubrey's arm mordred and mr carew side by side talking of books or rather mordred talking and the schoolmaster pretending to be interested shadrach bane stalking behind them silent and alone the butler planted them out at the long table far apart like young trees on a new estate so remote from one another that conversation had a forced air it was like hailing to somebody on the opposite side of the street sylvia sat next sir aubrey and as the dinner proceeded he contrived to draw his chair a little nearer hers so that their talk should be unheard by the rest mr bayne ate his dinner in almost absolute silence like a guest at a royal table he waited to be spoken to and as no one spoke to him he remained discreetly mute mordred twaddled on unendingly to mr carew sir aubrey devoted himself exclusively to his future bride but mr bayne ate his dinner and amused himself with his own thoughts and wore the aspect of a contented mind now and then he stole a little look at sylvia once or twice he smiled to himself a slow thoughtful smile and that was all the meal itself was good and ample but scrupulously simple a dinner of the old-fashioned substantial order not nearly so grand as the dinners given by mrs toynbee which sylvia had heard described by mary peter the village gossip dinners which were in preparation for days before the festival and at which monkhampton confectioners came to assist sylvia admired the handsome old china with its dark reds and deep purples and rich gilding the mass of old-fashioned silver a trifle clumsy perhaps but with such a look of long-established wealth and state the room in which they dined was sombre but its very gloom had an air of grandeur the voluminous curtains of darkest crimson velvet were in perfect tone with the oak panelling the wide mantelpiece of dark green marble was supported upon clustered columns of white veinless stone with bases and capitals of red porphyry this the handsomest object in the room relieved the darker hues of the walls and furniture the gentleman at sir aubrey's suggestion returned to the drawing-room with sylvia and then followed one of those evenings which irreverent minds distinguish as slow sir aubrey naturally devoted himself to his betrothed he showed her the various but not numerous objects of interest in the saloon told her the history of each how those vases had been sent from india by a certain general perriam his great-uncle how those curtains had been worked by hindus who squatted on the floor of the corridor outside his great-aunt's apartment in calcutta and who were paid so many piece a day for their labours he took sylvia to the library and showed her that apartment a treasury of learning which hardly wore the most attractive shape here indeed the severer muses seemed to frown forbiddingly upon the young student the lightest book on yonder massive carved oak shelves was spencer's fairy queen and even that work of fancy was rendered outwardly repulsive by its dingy binding sir aubrey showed sylvia the table at which he was wont to write letters and transact his business with mr bayne an old office desk covered with well-worn leather the library is not so pretty as the drawing-room said sylvia no replied the baronet a library is for use one does not expect prettiness in a library are the books very nice sylvia asked timidly 
it was too dark for her to read the titles and she thought those dingy volumes might possibly belie their outward show well i don't quite know a young lady's idea of niceness in books you like the sorrows of werther by the way a flimsy sentimental piece of nonsense which took the world by storm in my father's time there's nothing here of the werther kind in point of fact no works of fiction there's a fine edition of hollandshed yonder Francois's chronicles the mort d'arthur sermons from latimer down to south and barrow milton's prose works roland hume and all the best historians macaulay and carlyle asked sylvia thinking there might be something readable in that way she liked history as interpreted by these brilliant and diverse pens no there has been nothing added within the last fifty years it was my grandfather who completed the library as if a library could ever be complete thought sylvia it was pleasant to imagine the changes she would make in this gloomy temple of the learned dead new curtains of bright glowing hue instead of that black green velvet which age and dust had darkened to the colour of the trunks of moss-grown trees a new carpet to replace that worn and faded turkey where every shade had worn to one neutrality of tint new tables stands for engravings new chairs roomy luxurious covered with crimson morocco and decorated with crest and monogram in gold she had seen the luxuries of life were it but in the upholsterer's window at monkhampton they went back to the saloon after making the circuit of the lower rooms the hall the music-room long disused a spacious empty chamber whose walls gave back sonorous echoes the breakfast-parlour the late lady periam's morning-room i'll show you my brother's rooms another day said sir aubrey they are on the upper floor there's not much to admire in them except the number of his books in the saloon they found mr carew yawning over his empty teacup mordred furtively devouring the catalogue of a forthcoming auction in last saturday's athenaeum mr bain meditative altogether a silent party you seem rather dull said the baronet blandly i must get a piano by and by it's a pity we haven't one for miss carew might have given us some music miss carew looked about the room and thought how many things it wanted besides a piano to make it thoroughly pleasant that grand old world air was very well in its way but sylvia longed for modern luxury as well as antique stateliness it was agreeable to contemplate an apartment which reminded one of the spectator and pope's belinda but one could not quite ignore the strides which modern invention had made in the art of comfort it was a long evening devoted as sir aubrey was he had not very much to say to his betrothed the eyes which delighted him inspired no eloquence of speech what he did say to her was chiefly about himself of books he knew little save the works of addison pope swift voltaire and a few more of the same period of men he knew still less so he told sylvia mild little anecdotes of his blameless youth his revered mother his admirable father and now and then brought forth some inane little joke which had been handed down from father to son like an heirloom sylvia listened smiled even at the jokelets but thought with a bitter pang of edmund's swift flowing talk a good deal of it nonsense perhaps but always eloquent nonsense talk about poets playwrights romancers talk which sparkled often with the brightness of ideas which were not all borrowed talk which was vigorous with the force and passion of youth i shall never hear him again 
i shall never walk with him in the dear old lanes at sunset she said to herself but then i shall be lady Perriam. i shall be mistress of this grand old house splendid as Perriam place might be its future mistress was very glad to get away from it on this particular evening she gave a sigh of relief as the carriage door was shut and the slow steady old horses began their jog-trot progress sir aubrey is very kind papa she said as if apologizing for the sigh but rather dull at least he was rather dull to-night not half so dull as his brother i have been bored to death by those tedious stories about second-hand books i thought you seemed very well amused with sir aubrey i heard you laugh ever so many times one is obliged to laugh when people tell one anecdotes but that kind of laughter is very fatiguing i feel as tired as if i'd been teaching all day in the sunday school i wonder whether good society is always fatiguing mr carew did not answer this speculative inquiry he remembered society that had known no weariness those snug little dinners in the kilburn villa those gay summer evenings in the shrubberied garden when he and his guests took their coffee outside the jasmine shrouded veranda by the light of the midsummer stars that inexhaustible talk of men and horses and art and music and for the centre of the picture the fair face of his pretty wife the cynosure of all other eyes if not his own lodestar this society for which james carew had sacrificed honour and honesty if not altogether good had at least never been dull sylvia nestled into the padded corner of the comfortable old carriage and thought of her shopping at monkhampton to-morrow she had taken the bank-notes from her father and had reluctantly relinquished one ten-pound note to that parent when he pleaded his poverty and embarrassments a hundred pounds is not much towards such a trousseau as i ought to have papa she had said somewhat dolefully it seems rather hard that you should want to take any of it away it seems harder that you should grudge your father a trifle out of such a windfall answered the schoolmaster bitterly what do you want with a heap of clothes sir aubrey will give you anything you ask him for when you are his wife there was that other claimant the wretched woman in bell alley fetter lane sylvia did not quite forget that still stronger call upon a daughter's benevolence i'll send her five pounds from monkhampton to-morrow she said to herself when i am lady Perriam, i can often send her money before starting for monkhampton sylvia took mary peter the dressmaker in some measure into her confidence she told this useful friend of her speedy marriage but as she said nothing about the bridegroom miss peter naturally concluded that edmund stanton was that happy man sylvia wanted the dressmaker's aid in the choice of fabrics the adjustment of quantities and there was a pleasant sensation in going to monkhampton in the fly from the inn attended by mary peter the driving from shop to shop was like a triumphal progress and it was a new rapture to be able to choose the prettiest things those perfect boots which sylvia had gazed at with envious sighs in the leading bootmaker's neatly arranged window the lustrous silks the soft lace the delicate embroidery sylvia was surprised to find how speedily her bank-notes melted away when she chose the best and choicest articles in mr gansline's emporium mary peter kept whispering to her that she must have twenty yards of this and seventeen of that and ten yards of the broad brussels lace for a trimming and three or four pieces of madeira work for the under linen which miss peter was to put in hand for her she found that seventy pounds was a mere nothing to spend at mr gansline's and that she must restrict her purchases to three or four dresses at the most 
that thick corded silk of pearliest white which she selected after much deliberation for the wedding dress would do for a dinner dress afterwards mary told her and would die after that die exclaimed sylvia forgetting her previous reticence do you suppose i shall ever wear dyed silks well i don't know why you shouldn't sylvia rich people wear them i made up a dyed moire antique for mrs toynbee last spring and it looked very rich but was just a little streaky by daylight you might have your wedding dress dyed a lovely blue next year sylvia chose a dove-coloured silk the real dove-colour and a delicate grey she remembered sir aubrey's charge about simplicity and she fancied these subdued tints could scarcely fail to please him she bought a good deal of lace some linen fine enough for a princess of the blood royal a morning dress or two of plain white cambric a black silk mantle and a warm shawl for travelling and found that these purchases absorbed the whole of her seventy pounds ten more pounds were expended at the fashionable bootmakers aforementioned and at the chief perfumer and hairdresser's establishment where sylvia chose brushes and combs fit for the future lady Perriam. i haven't even money enough left for a dressing-bag said sylvia dolefully when she looked into her almost empty purse which had seen full to plethora a little while ago i dare say mr standon will give you one returned miss peter they generally do they meaning the hapless bridegroom species sylvia gave a little start at the sound of that too familiar name the thought of edmund would come ever and anon to dash her sense of triumph nay to make all things bitterness to her the two young women drove home merrily enough notwithstanding they discussed the making of the dresses and sylvia gave her orders with the air of an empress she begged that mary would be very particular as to the neatness of the work and desired that the style should be elegantly simple there were to be none of the frillings and crossway bands and puffings and fringes and tassels and gimps which mrs toynbee delighted in i can afford to dispense with trimming sylvia remarked grandly you will put off all other work of course for a wedding order she said to her satellite at parting but remember you must tell no one whose wedding dresses you are making i don't want people to know anything about my marriage till it's over i suppose it's to be directly he comes back from demerara hazarded mary never mind when it is to be mind i want my dresses in three weeks from to-day i believe it's immorial impossible answered mary who had vague ideas about certain substantives and said impossible for impossibility but if it's in human nature to get through so much work in that time i'll do it sylvia thought of the dressmaker's bill she had but one ten-pound note left and five pounds out of that she had intended for her mother but she now decided on keeping the money for mary peter it would not do to enter her new stage of existence in debt to a village dressmaker she would send mrs carford money after her marriage thus it happened that the lodger in bell alley profited nothing by sir aubrey's hundred pounds before nightfall a great many people in monkhampton had heard of miss carew's purchases at genslein's the schoolmaster's daughter was very well known in the shop though her outlay heretofore had been most meagre a yard or two of ribbon a cheap muslin dress a pair of gloves and so on that expenditure of seventy pounds had made the grave gansline himself open his eyes to the widest extent as he stood at his desk in a dark corner of the shop counting out miss carew's money he talked of the circumstance at dinner in the bosom of his family opining that her marriage with edmund standon was to take place very soon 
and there was a good deal said by mrs and the miss ganslines about mr standon's foolish infatuation young standon must have given her the money she laid out to-day observed the draper she couldn't have got it from her father everybody's mad about that girl i think returned mrs ganslein i was told only yesterday that sir aubrey had taken notice of her and her father and had them up at the place End of chapter 28